0: Well, AFC, what's up? I hope everybody is doing good tonight. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt. And by some incredible, amazing act of God, I'm the campus minister here at UCC. And I say that because if you knew me six or seven, eight years ago, you would think this would be the last place that I would be is up here, um, sharing my heart with you about what God's doing in my life, what I believe God is doing in this world, and what I believe God can do in your life. So if this is your first time, and if you're sitting there and you're just like, man, if these church kids only knew the person that I actually am. They wouldn't even let me in the door. If that's you tonight, I'm so glad that you're in the door. I can think of no better environment for you to be. Again, we say we want this place to be a, a place where you, feel, where you feel comfortable and where you feel, where you feel loved and where you feel important because what other places in this world are you going to find that? A place where you're just genuinely loved from the time you walk in the door. So I hope that's what you felt tonight when you came in. Also, I hope you felt safe when you came in tonight. Not safe from like terrorist attacks or like emergency evacuation stuff because I really don't know what the plan is. If we have a fire, I guess go out those doors. That's like all I have for you. But I want you to feel safe in regards to when you walk in here, you don't feel judged. You don't feel like you're not good enough to be here. At least that's my heart. At least that's my heart. And I I hope that and I know that that's what most of people's hearts in here is, is that you don't feel judged and that this is a safe place for you to be exactly who you are, exactly where you are. And I wanted to intro with that tonight for a very particular reason, because of the topic that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, At our main church, UCC, that meets across the parking lot Sundays at 1030, we're going through a sermon series right now called DTR, or Define the Relationship, Define the Relationship. Now, during the sermon series at UCC, we're going through three different topics. Last Sunday, on the next slide, we talked about same-sex friendship. So we talked about the story of David and Jonathan in the Bible. This Sunday, we're talking about the theology of singleness, how God uses singleness and how God loves singles. And then uh, on the 23rd, we're going to talk about the theology of marriage and exactly what it is that God believes about marriage. Now, these are going to be great topics, and I fully believe Charlton is going to cover Christian relationships in general. But what it left for us was an opportunity tonight as, as our group of college students and young professionals to come together and to talk about what this means for us. And so if you saw the Instagram posts or you saw the Facebook posts, what you saw today is we're going to be talking about dating, dating. And, 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 and so we're going to dive into that. As best as we can. Um, now, the other reason why I want to do this, besides there just being a gap in the sermon series that I thought we could hit on, is because I know a lot of you in the room, and I don't know if spring's in the air and we're trying to get that summer romance going before before we leave for school. But there's people in this room that are anxious to be in relationships, and I think that's a natural thing. And also, I know that there's a lot of people in this room that are probably just here not because of my preaching ability, but because of the girls or because of the fellas, and I know that that's a reality, because back in the day, that used to be me. Back in the day, that used to be me, and so with a captive audience, and with us all here tonight, then let's talk about it. Then let's talk about what better place to be educated by something like this than the church. The church doesn't want to be silenced on something as important as this, and Christian dating sermons come with some stereotypes. They really do, and they're kind of fun to poke fun at, so we're gonna do that right now with a video. that It's one of my favorites I just wanna share with you guys. My
1: name is Rebecca Esther Sarah Bathsheba.
0: And I'm John.
1: And I found God's match for me on ChristianTingle.com. I joined Christian Tingle after going on over 50 dates on other online dating sites. I forgive you. Thanks. I never went on a second date after I mentioned that I was saving handholding for marriage.
2: So I joined the website, and as soon as I saw your picture, I thought, man, she is hot. Babe? Hey. What? You are? When I saw her Facebook profile picture, I was like, I've always wanted a woman that's had the most devoted devotional ever devoted.
1: Honestly, I wasn't very attracted to him at first. I mean, I thought he was hot, but I was afraid that he was going to be too into himself. When I saw his profile picture, everything changed. I was like, praise you, Daddy, for showing me this man who is willing to be seen holding a third world orphan.
2: I was in Africa on a mission trip. Why else would you go to Africa? There was this one little kid, he was actually the son of a guy that went with us here in Atlanta. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, that was Jason. Favorite pastor on three. One, two, three. David, David Platt. Platt. That was too easy. That was really um, easy. Okay. Favorite sonic flood song. One, two, well, everyone only knows one sonic flood song. Right, right. Favorite secular band. Switchfoot. Switch <laughs> uh, this is real love. Tell them about the ceremony.
1: I think what we really wanted was a worship service.
2: We made sure that we had communion on the way in, we had communion on the way out, Yeah. we had communion during our vows. You know, obviously we didn't have a bar at the reception, so we had more communion. One thing most people don't know about with Christian Tingle is there's an app that you can get for your smartphone.
1: When we were dating, mm-hmm. I feel like the app was just, it was a godsend.
2: When you keep it in your pocket and you're on a date, it'll send an alert every time that your phone goes from portrait to landscape. <laughs> If it wasn't for the father, the son, and the Christian Tingle, I wouldn't have met the love of my life.
1: If you're looking for someone to date other than Jesus, look no further than ChristianTingle.com.
0: I'm, maybe I shouldn't have shown it. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really funny. But um, there, is some, there are some stereotypes. There are some st- stereotypes with Christian dating. And tonight, I don't want you to leave with stereotypes. Tonight, I want you to leave with convictions. I don't want you to leave with stereotypes tonight. I want you to leave with convictions about dating. Now, I've been in AFC for quite a long time, and before that, I went to a couple other campus ministries and youth groups, and I heard a lot of sermons on dating. But the best sermon that I ever heard on dating, I can't tell you one word that the preacher said. It was right here in this room. It was right here on this stage. I'm going to show you the the analogy that the preacher used, and I'm going to use it here tonight as well. Again, I cannot tell you one thing that the preacher said, but I do remember this. What he did was he took this stool, and it was probably this exact stool, and he took this cross, and he set it right here in front. And he said that tonight, in regards to dating... In regards to whatever else we talk about, marriage, relationships, friendships, singleness, whatever else we talk about, it's going to go through the cross or it's going to be cross-centered. And this is exactly what we're going to try to do tonight because when you have a cross-centered life, it changes everything. I don't necessarily want to talk about behavior tonight and dating behavior. You've heard that before. What I think changes everything is the cross in your life cross-centered behavior in all of our lives. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, and because the tomb is empty, that changes how we do things. That should change how we date. That should change how we work. That should change how we go to school. It should change absolutely everything. And you guys know what? This is my only creditation that I have. My only credentials that I have is this cross and what I believe that this cross did in my life. I don't have a fancy Bible degree, I didn't go to seminary, but what I have is what this cross has done in my life. What I'm saying is I'm no dating pro. Granted, I am engaged to my dream girl, and we're getting married in July, but I don't think that makes makes me a pro. We, me, Tessa and I, we, uh, we were dating for about a year, and we, and we didn't date perfectly. We we're so far from perfect in so many different ways, but, but now I feel comfortable, at least if, if somebody said they wanted to look up to us as a couple, I would say, at least right now we're at this place in our lives where, where our individual walk with the, walks with the Lord is, is showing something that is, that is honoring God, I hope, I hope, and two cross-centered people Following each other is what's playing out right now. And so it's, it's, it's really a special time in our relationship. But it's only because of what the cross is doing in our lives, not because of anything special we're doing on our own. And I think that can be the story. And I think that's what the story for everybody in this room, whether you're dating. I know there's some, some married people in the room today, whether you're engaged or whether you've taken a vow of singleness. And that's actually a thing. That's actually a thing. No matter what it is, if you are cross-centered, and that should be the compass that navigates whatever season of life it is that you're in. Now to get us started tonight, real quickly, I wanted to go through every single Bible verse that directly relates to dating in the Bible. So we're going to do that on the next slot. Nope, nope, go back. It was right. That's it. That's every single verse in the Bible that directly relates to dating. See, dating that we have right now is a social and a cultural construct that is kind of new to humanity. Back in, the, back in the days of the Bible, 2,000 years ago when it was recorded, dating didn't look like it looks right now. See, it would look more like if you saw an attractive woman that, was gonna, that would be a good mate. It's more like you would take um, like three goats and a donkey and you would go to her dad and be like, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And some guys in the room today who are struggling to find a girl, they like, that would be so much easier. Just go find some goats and a donkey. Like, I, I get it. That would be, that'd be way easier for a lot of us in the room. Um, arranged marriages were still something that was very much a part of that culture. Uh, so there's no exact Bible verse that's going to say whether you're supposed to walk her to the door Whether you're supposed to hold hands, or if you have to meet her dad first, or if you're allowed to kiss, or anything like that. There's no Bible verses like that, but, but, but. Next slide. Just because our cultural construct of dating is not directly mentioned in the Bible, does not mean that the Bible is quiet on how to date. I'm going to say that again. It's on the screen. We can all read it. Just because our cultural construct of dating is not directly mentioned in the Bible does not mean that the Bible is silent or is quiet on how to date. Now, this is not an oxymoron, and I, and I hope I can show you with Scripture tonight that this is not the case. Now, one of the catch-all Scriptures that I want to use tonight to set the foundation for every single thing we talk about in, in dating is a verse that is not even about relationships. This, is not, this verse is not even about relationships. It's just about what being a Jesus follower looks like for everybody in this room. So I want to go to that right now. If you have your Bibles, it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, and it reads like this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy holy it is such a church word right It is such a church word. The only time outside of church that we use the word holy is right before we say a really bad word because we stubbed our toe, right? That's about the only time. But besides that, we don't say, like, man, that Kiva juice was holy today. Or, man, that game was holy. And we don't say it because it really doesn't make sense. The only times it really makes sense is when we're talking about God and the reverence that we have towards him. Webster's Dictionary defines holy like this exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. So if Peter is right, so if Peter is right, we are to be holy because God is holy, then we are to be completely devoted to God because of his goodness. And that means aspects of our lives should change. Multiple aspects of our lives should change. So that means the goal of your pursuit of a bachelor's degree should be holiness. Once you get a job, your main goal should be to be holy. And tonight, talking about dating, we should date in a holy manner. But here's the problem. We don't like to do that. We like reserving our holiness to Wednesday nights or to Sunday mornings or to some other church-related activity. This kind of thinking is something called dualism. Dualism, and it's a, it's a word used in philosophy. A, a, a better way to say it would be split thinking, Split thinking. And American Christians are bad at this. What, what dualism is is this idea that you can separate the spiritual life from the physical life, that you can, you can compartmentalize things about the faith and take it away from other aspects of your life. And so what the plea is tonight is that we stop doing that, is that we stop trying to keep Jesus out of certain areas but letting him in on others. It makes sense to let him in tonight, right? That's the, that's the place that we want him in. It makes sense when we, um, when we have a sick family member to let him in so that we can, we can um, petition to God that he make them better. That makes sense. But the plea is tonight is to stop letting, um, stop keeping him out of certain areas. And so we need to adapt to a non-dualistic mindset, meaning that every decision we make is in some capacity spiritual. There's no way to date in a non-spiritual way. There's no way to have sex in a non-spiritual way. You can try, but eventually you will end up with heartbreak or brokenness because that is what sin does. So the main idea that Peter is trying to say tonight is be holy. Be holy in every aspect of your life. And see, when we, when we get away from this, when we try to keep Jesus out of things, that's when we run into things. That's when we run into problems like, well, I'm going to date this non-believer because, they, well, they have a good heart. Or I'm going to... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these decisions about how far I want to go physically because, because that's for me. That's not for my Jesus allotted time. That's for me. But now that I started saying stuff like that, everybody in the room is just like, oh, I've seen this before. I've been in the church before when the sermon goes this route, right, where I'm going to start telling you every single thing that you can't do in regards to dating as a Christian. Right, that's what you guys, that, that's what you should expect right now. That's what we've heard before. That's where you're going to hear, like, like, this is where I'm, I'm going to tell you guys exactly how to hug somebody when you see them at AFC. Like, if it's a girl, like, you can't do the full frontal, you're at AFC, so you do the side hug. Or maybe the, maybe the campus minister thinks we should just do hand hugging for a while. Like, like I mean, that's, that's what happens next, right? Or, or what time we're supposed to leave our boyfriend or girlfriend's house, because you can't be holy past midnight. Everybody knows that. That's somewhere in the Bible. That, this is that section of the sermon right here, right? I don't want to do that tonight. I don't want to operate from a place of fear tonight about how we're dating. I don't want to scare anybody about the sermon like that. Sermons like that are so tired. Sermons like that are so played out. My first semester doing this job about a year and a half ago, I preached a sermon like this. It was, I, thought, I mean, I thought it was really good, actually. It was called, um, it was just when Fifty Shades of Grey was coming out, so I called it Four Shades of Love. And I really thought it was a good sermon. I went back and read it this week, and you know what? It, it was. It was pretty accurate, but it definitely came from a place of here's what not to do. And we hear that a lot. That's played out. You guys, let's be honest. You know enough about the church. You, you know what the church is against. You know what the church is against. You know that the church is against sleeping together before marriage. You know that the church is against pornography and against sexting and, about, and against making out and grabbing booty and all this stuff. You guys know what the church is against. You've heard it before. But tonight, I want to look at, look at it from a fresh perspective. Instead of looking at what the church and what Scripture is against, let's look at what Jesus is for in regards to dating. Let's just look at it. Let's just interpret Scripture. In a, Let's just look at it in a different way. The same Scriptures, let's just look at them a little bit differently. Now, granted, I'm going to go through a couple passages right now. And, and again, these Scriptures are not directly tied to dating. They're not. Like I said, the, the Bible does not mention it like that, but they are directly related to the character and the nature of God. And so that should tell us something about how to date. So we're gonna start right now, in the first book of the Bible, we're gonna start in Genesis, Genesis two, four. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The way we're gonna interpret this verse tonight. Next slide. God is for families. God is for families. Now I'll show you how we got there. See, in, in, in these times, the, uh, the son or the daughter, when they were born, the, the, their main goal was to help support the father and mother. But when you found a wife, you started your own family unit. And so God is for the creation of families of believers, okay? So this verse points to the idea that God is for families. Next slide. This is one we've all heard in regards to dating. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Let's interpret this, this verse a little differently. God is for you finding a fellow Jesus follower. When we read this verse about being unequally yoked, what does our mind immediately jump to? We jump to all the things, all the people that we're restricted from dating, right? Like, oh man, I can't, I, I can't date that girl because she's not a believer. That's just not fair. I can't, date that, I can't date that cute guy because he doesn't know Jesus. That's just not fair. Let's look at it differently. God wants you to be with believers because it's a blessing. A, a, a man or a woman that truly loves Jesus, that is following after the Lord, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. As somebody who has faithfulness as a core principle of their marriage, that's a fantastic thing. So this is more of a blessing than it is a restriction. Next verse. Song of Solomon 2, 7. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The next slide. God is for his timing. God is for his timing. This is not a verse that said, do not awaken love. This is not a verse that said, be a prude. This is a verse that says, do so in God's timing. Do so in God's Timing. There's something beautiful about God's timing. And I know, and I know as singles, talking from a guy that's, that's in a relationship, oh gosh, gosh, preach a little more, a little more manly now, from a guy that's in a relationship. That's hard. That's absolutely hard to hear because you don't want to hear timing. And I know it's like cliche Christian advice, but here's the advice. It's all about timing. Hebrews 13:4 reads like this. Let marriage be held in honor among all, Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The next slide. God is for marriage. God is for marriage. Marriage should be held in a high honor. We should look up to marriage. We should should aspire. If if we have the desires to be with somebody, we should aspire for marriage as something that God believes in. And again, the marriage bed is the place where we exercise our passions. It doesn't say don't be a prude. It is just about with who and timing. And lastly, 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, let no one despise you, and again, this is not a verse even about relationships, but I think it can apply. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Next slide, God is for you being an example, because here's the problem. Here's what society tells you. Take your 20s, Take your 20s and figure it out. Find yourself sexually. Make mistakes. Do crazy things on that campus across the street. Society says in your 20s, that's okay. And then in your 30s, get your life together. Then in your 30s, get your life together. What Paul is writing Timothy in this, in this letter, Timothy's a young, a young believer, a young pastor, and he's, what he's telling Timothy is, is you, that doesn't have to be your story. You can be an example in conduct, in speech, in love, and in purity right now. That doesn't have to be your story for your young age. See, you guys, how how we interpret Scripture matters. How we view God absolutely matters. And there's two ways we can do so. One, we can view it as a rule book that restricts us. Or number two, we can view it as a love story that is for God's glory but for your good as well but for your good as well. For so long, Christianity has made sure that you know exactly what the church is against. And we've heard it before, right? We've heard exactly what the church is against. But I beg you to start seeing God and to start reading scripture as something that is for you. That is something that is for you and for your good in regards to dating, in regards to marriage, in regards to, to healthy relationships. God is for healthy relationships, faithful to one another that are pursuing God first. That is absolutely what he's for. And, and in this room right now, from age 17 to 20-something, the 20-something generation, one of the number one things that we, are just, we just crave is clarity. We crave clarity. And so we read the scripture. So, so here it is, here's truth, here's clarity, here's scripture that says how godly relationships function, it's up to us, what will we do with that? Will we pursue holiness? Or will we fall into society's constructs on what it says 20-somethings are supposed to do right now? To be honest, I, uh, I really didn't want to do this sermon tonight. I feel like everybody gets jacked up for uh, dating sermons for, for all the wrong reasons. The romantic relationship is something that is so good. Sex is something that is so good that God designed, absolutely. But if you guys want to know one of the main problems that our culture has with dating, it's the idolatry that we place on dating. It's the idolatry that we place on finding someone. I mean, in this room right now, there's a flood of emotions going on. If you're, if you're single, what you're, what you're doing is if you're a godly guy, you're puffing out your chest, making sure the girls know that you're taking notes, <laughs> you know. You're trying, to, you're trying to put that out there. You're like, God, maybe there's, an, there's this internal cry. Like, God, when do I find my godly girl that I could start a family with? Or if you're, or if you're a lady and you're searching for that guy, where's that godly guy that's going to lead me in my family? That internal cry. For some of us in the room, it, it's a cry of contentment because we have somebody And we think that that is fulfilling us in this moment in time, and while some of these feelings are natural, the love that we have for a significant other, or while some of these, or or the cry for loneliness, or the the desire to be with somebody, while some of these are natural, the emphasis that we put on them, and the idolatry that we put on these relationships as like they're going to fulfill us, is not glorifying to God. It's not glorifying to God. And this was absolutely me. When I, was, uh, when I was pursuing Tessa, my fiance, actually before I was pursuing her, um, I was thinking about her a lot. I was thinking about what it would look like to be with her, and I, I really had this, this desire to be with her. But also, if I'm being honest, I was at a, walk, a place in my walk with the Lord that was about as strong as it's ever been. And so I had this, I had this, tug, and, this tug and pull in my heart about, like, man, like, where do I go with this? And so I had to pray a very, very scary prayer. I had to pray, I had to say, God, if, if, if being with Tessa or if just being in a relationship is ge- in general something you want from me, will you please make that known to me? Will you sh- please show me clarity? If not, if that's not for me, will you show me that as well? Ah, oh, man, that's a scary prayer. That's an absolutely scary prayer. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, it worked out for you. You're engaged. Like, you can't even relate with us anymore. But... I have to ask myself every single day a scary question as well. Would I choose Tessa or would I choose my relationship with the Lord? It's a question she has to ask herself. It's a question that everybody in relationships has to ask ourselves in here today. We have to give ourselves an altar call every single morning as to which we would choose. There's scary questions to be asked, but these are healthy questions and healthy thoughts to be had tonight. Zeke, you can go ahead and start heading back up or the worship band, or the one-man band, whatever. (laughs) See, I know everybody in the room wants to find someone. I get it. I get it. But the message tonight is a little bit greater than that. The message tonight is a little bit greater tonight. See, God wants to find somebody in this room, too. Let me show you this awesome verse from 2 Chronicles. The Lord's eyes keep on roaming throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts completely belong to him so that he may strongly support them. There's another version that says, the Lord's eyes go to and from throughout the earth, looking for those who love him. You guys, we wanna be found. We wanna be found by this deep, intimate passion. He's looking for you. He is absolutely looking for you and you are perfect for him. And he wrote you this beautiful love story, not a history book, but breath on a page love story to you. And he did this big, giant, chivalrous thing on the cross for you and for me. He's seeking for you, but more specifically, he's seeking for people whose hearts completely belong to him. Not hearts that are shared in unhealthy dating relationships, not hearts that he has to share with addictions to work or addictions to our pursuit of degrees. He's seeking for hearts that belong to him. Psalms 37:4. It says, that delight, it says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. The characteristic of all healthy Christian relationships is that the seeking of God and the delight in God comes first. And every single aspect of that life afterwards, work, relationships, school, hobbies, everything else comes second. If we really wanna define a relationship tonight, maybe the, maybe the big step out in love tonight is for those of you who are deciding like, whether or not you need to get baptized. Or maybe the, the, bigger, the bigger step tonight for, for those of you is somebody needs to come in the back and, and you just wanna start over. You just wanna restore your priorities. Maybe that would be the, the, the relationship that we really need to define tonight. And we can absolutely do, do that. During this last song that Zeke sings, I'm going to be in the back. Um, I want to pray with anybody that wants to. Um, Melissa or Amber, they'll be in the back to pray with any girls that want to. If we want to define or for some of us in the room, refine a relationship tonight, we can do that right now and restore those priorities. If you will, you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm, so, I'm thankful for the cross. God, I I am thankful for romantic relationships and I'm thankful for um, the passions that you put in some of us for for, for that stage in our life. But Lord, most of all tonight, I'm thankful for for the relationship that you gave us on the cross and that that chivalrous deed that you did on that day. God, I'm thankful that the tomb is empty. When all this life doesn't make sense and trying to figure out dating and and relationships and marriages and all these things, when when all that doesn't make sense, at the end of the day, the tomb is empty. And for that, I'm grateful. And for any hearts in this room tonight, Lord, they are struggling with where to place relationships and the priorities in, in their lives and, and, and that desire for marriage, God, I pray that you would just make it abundantly clear for everybody in this room what it is you want for them, whether it be patient and waiting or whether it be singleness or marriage, God, whatever it is, I pray for clarity for this room right now. But most of all, I pray that people would know you and that you would be glorified. We're most thankful for the cross and that this tomb is empty. In your son's name I pray. Amen.